Hello everyone, and welcome to the third and final episode of the English 222 Writing for Social Change podcast. I'm your host, Fraser, and I use they, them pronouns. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the inclusion of Indigenous folks and why that matters. Small disclaimer before I get into the episode, uh, I am not a Native person. Do not listen to me. That is the whole point of this talk. Uh, I am only giving the information that I know, and I am only uh, able to have a very small perspective on this. Uh, so please, uh, I give a lot of Indigenous creators um, that you can find online uh, at the end of this episode. Uh, please do follow them. They're all really great, and I enjoy all of their content. But today I would like to talk about the inclusion of Indigenous folks and why that matters. As always, all sources and songs will be available in the show notes. And feel free to drop any uh, Indigenous creators that you happen to like in the comments below. I'd love to check them out. So let's start off with the history of the exclusion of Indigenous voices. It's actually a very common thing that Indigenous voices are often forgot about. Uh, I'm gonna reference it a couple of times throughout this episode, but only about 2% of the population is Native American. This statistic alone goes a long way to, to show the problem of why excluding Indigenous voices is a big deal, uh, because so many people have come to America and colonized America and driven out these indigenous voices. And thus it is important to remember uh, that we are living on land that was colonized and that we need to respect those who were here long, long, long before us. So I wanted to talk about the depiction of uh, Native Americans and indigenous folk uh, from America uh, particularly the ones that were given in our uh, class notes. One of the uh, things in our class, uh, in our class uh, sources, was an article from the Smithsonian Magazine about the Native American chief Geronimo. It kind of fascinated me whenever I was reading the Smithsonian Magazine to see how different the depiction of Geronimo was between indigenous people who I researched in my own time versus the Smithsonian Magazine. The native people that I listened to have spoken about Geronimo very highly and they even call him a defender and a great leader. However, the Smithsonian Magazine, uh, while never demoralizing Ger Geronimo directly, it goes out of its way to show how hated he was at the time and frames Geronimo as eventually uh, and eventually depicts him in the way that many did at the time. One quote from the from the magazine article says the Chicago Daily Tribune ran the headline Geronimo now a good Indian alluding to a quote widely mistaken and attributed to General Phillips Sheridan. Roosevelt himself would sum up his feelings in this way. I don't go so far as to think that the only good Indians are dead Indians, but I believe 9 out of 10 are, and I shouldn't like to inquire too closely to the case of the 10th. After a Christian service and a large funeral procession made up of both whites and Native Americans, Geronimo was buried at Fort Sill. Only then did he cease to be a prisoner of the United States. These are the last two paragraphs of the Smithsonian article. This kind of weirds me out because again native people were very highly respected like they really really liked geronimo and so it's a bit of a dissonance for how native people are portrayed whenever they talk about their own people versus how white people talk about them 
This is also backed up by one of our other sources, uh, which is the depiction of Native Reservation Education. Uh, it was written by a Native, art, uh, native author, uh, and it speaks to how uh, reservation education worked. And it was very, it was very congruent with other information that I found on the subject, uh, which is not surprising. It was written by a Native author. Which is why I think we need to include a lot more Indigenous voices and how their exclusion in the past has been a big black mark on American history. But before I do so, I wanted to share some of uh, the Indigenous culture that I found while I was researching this episode. Uh, and that is... Native American drum songs. These are songs that are sung in a small group uh, with people uh, banging on drums at the same time. They're absolutely beautiful and I wanted to share one with you. Um, they don't have proper titles from what I can find, um, but this one was done at the Summer Solstice Festival in Ottawa of 2019. It's a really good listen and I think you will enjoy it. From here, I'd like to talk about the current movements that Indigenous folk are talking about right now. You may have seen a couple of them in the news. Um, they don't get a whole lot of coverage, uh, unsurprisingly. But um, I would like to talk about the current movements. I have four of them today um, that I would like to talk about. The first one is Stop Line 3. You may have heard about this in, uh, in the news a little bit, but uh, Line 3 is a proposed pipeline expansion to, nearly, um, uh, to bring nearly a million barrels of tar sands per day from Alberta, Canada to Superior, Wisconsin. It was proposed in 2014 by Enbridge, a Canadian pipeline company responsible for the largest inland oil spill in the U.S. Enbridge seeks to build a new pipeline corridor through untouched wetlands and treaty territory of the Ashinaabe people, through the Mississippi River headwaters, and to the shore of Lake Superior. This all coming from StopLine3.org. Absolutely check it out, uh, because they go over why this is a bad thing and why it needs to be stopped and... This is what they say on why it's an important thing that Line 3 should be stopped. They say, all pipelines spill. Line 3 isn't about the safe transportation of a necessary product. It's about the expansion of the dying tar sands industry. Line 3 would contribute more to climate change than Minnesota's entire economy. Minnesota's own Department of Commerce found that our local market does not need Line, uh, line 3 oil. We need to decommission the old Line 3 and just... Uh, and justly transition to a renewable, sustainable economy. Line 3 would also violate treaty would also violate treaty rights of the Ashinaabe people and nations in its path. Wild rice is a centerpiece of the Ashinaabe culture. It grows in numerous watersheds Line 3 seeks to cross. It is well past time to end the legacy of theft and destruction of indigenous peoples and their territory. Stopping Line 3 is such an important thing, and so many Indigenous folks have been trying to get it stopped. It recently, I believe, finished construction as well, but a lot of Indigenous folks have even talked about how even if it does begin uh, to... Even if it does begin the transportation of uh, tar sands, that it is better late than never stopped. And so a lot of Indigenous folks are not stopping uh, their fight to end Line 3, or to stop Line 3. The second movement that I wanted to talk about is Land Back. Uh, all of this I am getting from their manifesto page on landback.org. 
But Land Back is a movement about the reclamation of everything that is stolen from original peoples. That's land, language, ceremony, medicines, and kinship. Land Back is a movement that has existed for generations with a long legacy of organizing and sacrificing to get indigenous lands backed into indigenous hands. Currently, there are Land Back battles being fought all across Turtle Island, to the north and the south. That coming from landback.org. And for those who don't know, Turtle Island is in reference to North America. Land Back also has a list of demands on their website. These demands include, one, dismantling white supremacist structures that forcibly removed us from our lands and continue to keep our people in oppression. This is things like the Bureau of Land Management and the National Park Service. Number two is defund white supremacy and the mechanisms and systems that enforce it and disconnect us from the stewardship of our land. This includes defunding the police, the military-industrial complex, border patrol, and ICE, among other things. Three, return all public lands back to indigenous hands. And four, consent, moving us out of an era of cons consultation and into a new era of policy around free and prior informed consent. One of their big fights is actually the closure of Mount Rushmore, and they say, quote, Return of that land and all public lands in Black Hills, South Dakota, is the cornerstone of our battle, from which we will build out this campaign. Not only does Mount Rushmore sit in the heart of the sacred Black Hills, but it is an international symbol of white supremacy and colonization. To truly dismantle white supremacy and the systems of oppression, we have to go back to the roots, which for us is putting indigenous lands back in indigenous hands. Land Back is such a big movement about exactly what they say over and over and over again, putting indigenous lands back into indigenous hands. America has a very long history of colonization, and it is important for us as white Americans and as all Americans to acknowledge that, and it is important to put indigenous people back on center stage for the lands that they have been living in for centuries. The third movement that I wanted to talk about is Indigenous Peoples Day, which is October 11th. It's coming up very soon, and it was made to overtake and and reteach on Columbus Day. An article from NPR uh, interviews a interviews a tribal citizen of the United Homa Nation, uh, Bailey Champagne, who said, It's become a trend. It's about celebrating people instead of thinking about somebody who actually caused genocide on a population or tried to cause the genocide of an entire population. By bringing Indigenous Peoples Day, we're bringing awareness that we are not going to allow someone like that to be glorified into a hero because of the hurt that he caused to Indigenous peoples of America. Again, this is all about reframing Columbus Day to teach proper history. Uh, we are often taught as kids that Columbus found America, but there are already people living here and it's an important thing to teach that properly, especially to young folks, but also uh, to kind of rewrite it in our minds, in our uh, adult minds. Thus, I think Indigenous Peoples Day is a really great day to introduce into our understandings and in, in our teachings. The fourth movement that I wanted to talk about is quite a bit heavier than the other three, and that is the residential schools. You may have heard on the news a little bit recently about the residential schools found in Canada. And I'd like to state a few different articles, uh, but the first one is the Indigenous Foundations, uh, who say, quote, 
The term residential schools refers to an extensive school system set up by the Canadian government and administrated by churches that had the nominal objective of educating Indigenous children, but also the more damaging and equally exploitative objective of indoctrinating them into, into Euro-Canadian and Christian ways of living and assimilating them into mainstream white Canadian society. An Indigenous writer for The Atlantic also follows that up with 200 years ago on March 3rd, 1819, the Civilization Fund Act ushered in the era of assimilationist policies leading to the Indian boarding school era, which lasted from 1860 to 1978. The act directly spurred the creation of the schools by putting forward the notion that native culture and native language were to blame for what was deemed the country's Indian problem here in America. Both Canada and America have histories of putting Indigenous children into these residential schools or Indian boarding schools uh, and attempting to not allow Indigenous folks to practice their culture or their language. Uh, as I was researching this episode, I heard many, many stories about residential school survivors and the things that they went through, and all of them were extremely heartbreaking. I'm not going to have any of them in this episode because I would have to give a long list of trigger warnings for it. Uh, it is extremely difficult to listen to these stories, but it is an absolutely important thing that you do. So if you are at all interested, please do your research on the residential schools. But this led to Truth and Reconciliation Day, which happens on September 30th. Truth and Reconciliation Day is now a national holiday in Canada, uh, and it is meant to acknowledge the harm that was done to Native communities in Canada. One writer for CBC First Person, Patricia Brooke, wrote this about the day. Today, September 30th, has been Orange Shirt Day since 2013. It is now officially designated as a federal statutory holiday, National Day for Truth and Reconciliation in recognition of the harm the residential school system did to Indigenous children in Canada. I remember all the stories every residential school survivor has told me. I remember those who never made it home. I make sure that I take this day to remember them. To finally have a day, a formal day acknowledged by the federal government, is a good first step. But until every single Canadian learns and acknowledges the truth, we will never have reconciliation. National Truth and Reconciliation Day was acknowledged in Canada after about 215 children were found in one of many, many mass graves at one of these residential schools. This holiday was set up to acknowledge and teach about what happened at these residential schools and make a first step towards healing for Indigenous communities. As we go into the future of the movement, I would like to share with you a song created specifically for this event, as well as the events of missing and murdered indigenous women. And that is Remember Me by Fawn Wood. And I will just let the song speak for itself. so high feeling free remember me down the road hand in 
So how do we begin to move forward and push for more Indigenous folks to be heard, to have their voices be heard on the national stage? Well, first we need to acknowledge the trials that are facing the Indigenous community. Like I said, about only about 2% of the U.S. population is Indigenous. But Indigenous people are at risk for many different intersectional crimes. One of these is the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls that I talked about earlier. The Urban Indian Health Institute ran a study a while ago looking into the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls cases around the United States. They surveyed 71 urban cities and found 506 missing and murdered Indigenous women and girl cases. Of those, 128 of the cases were missing Indigenous women, 280 of them were murdered Indigenous women, 98 were of unknown status, and there is also the Invisible 153, which are cases that were identified by the UIHI but that do not exist in law enforcement records. More than 95% of these cases in these studies were never reported by national or international media. They also go on to report about violent language used in these media reports. Again, only 5% of these were ever covered, but a lot of them used violent language, which is language that engages in racism or misogyny or racial stereotyping, including references to drugs, alcohol, sex work, and gang violence, victims' criminal history, victim blaming, making excuses for the perpetrator, misgendering transgender victims, racial misclassification, false information on cases, not naming the victim, and publishing images and videos of the victim's death. Of these, 36 media outlets, about 25%, used violent language in 50 or more of the cases that they covered, and 22 or 15% used violent language in 100% of the cases that they covered. Again, only about 5% of these cases ever received national or international media coverage. We do also need to acknowledge how the Indigenous community intersects with the LGBTQIA community. Just this year, we did see a trans hate crime against a non-binary Indigenous person, Whispering Wind Bear Spirit, a 41-year-old Indigenous non-binary person who was shot to death May 4th in York, Pennsylvania. Indigenous people are also on the fronts of the LGBTQIA community with their two-spirit community. The Indian Health Service says that, quote, the disruption caused by conquest and disease together with the efforts of missionaries, government agencies, boarding schools, and white settlers resulted in the loss of many traditions in Native communities. Two-spirit people, for those who don't know, are indigenous folks who are said to be neither men nor women and that they, are that they occupy a distinct and alternative gender status. The IHS goes on to say two-spirit roles in particular were singled out for condemnation, interference, and many times of violence. As a result, two-spirit traditions and practices went underground or disappeared in many tribes. Today, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender natives throughout North America are reviving the two-spirit role and its traditions. National gatherings of two-spirit people have been held since the early 1990s, and regional gatherings are held in many parts of the country. It is very important to acknowledge the work that in Indigenous people have done for the LGBTQIA community. It's also important to acknowledge their mental health crisis. About 22.7% of Indigenous people reported having a mental illness in 2016, despite only being about 1.3% of the population reported at that time. That coming from Mental Health America. It is also important to acknowledge the work that Indigenous folks are doing on climate activism and renewable energy. An article by the World Wildlife Foundation quotes Dr. Sina, 
the Director of Indigenous Peoples of Africa Coordinating Committee, says, quote, recognizing Indigenous peoples' lands rights and consequently 80% of global, global biodiversity should be placed at the center and of present and future global challenges. If you are not following Indigenous folks and you are doing climate activism, you're doing it wrong. Indigenous folks have always been on the forefront of climate activism and renewable energy, and it is only with their help that we can fight climate change and work towards a better future. The easiest way to hear more Indigenous voices within your media diet is simple. Seek them out. It is important to seek out Indigenous voices regardless of what activism you are doing, and it is important to listen to them regardless of whether you're doing activism or not. As I end up this episode, I would like to share with you not only another song, but also some of the amazing indigenous voices that I, I see a lot around social media and inspire you to follow them and listen to their content. The first one that I would like to talk about is Kwana Chasing Horse from Alaska. You can find her at Kwana.Rose on most social media platforms. You may remember her from the Met Gala, but she's actually a big climate activist in back in Alaska. She's doing great work and I encourage everyone to follow her. The second is Lance Sosi of the Navajo Nation from Colorado. You can find him at modern underscore warrior double underscore. He's a Navajo activist and he makes educational video clips on TikTok. He's really good and he is very good about, about calling out coloni colonizing mindsets and is a great educator. The third person that I'd recommend is James Jones, aka Notorious Cree, who is from Alberta. On his TikTok, he does traditional hoop dances. If you are looking to learn more about indigenous North American culture, I would recommend checking out James. The fourth person that I would recommend is Mele, aka Mele Makalani Mahalahua. That is a long name and it is Hawaiian and I'm so sorry, I probably mispronounced it. She's from Hawaii <laughs> and she's very big in the Free Hawaii Movement and activating for Palulu Valley which is a sacred land, a sacred land to the Hawaiian people, who many are worried are is going to be bulldozed over in order to create about four football fields worth of, of parking lots. If you would like to learn more about Hawaii activism, I would absolutely recommend checking out Mele. And the final person that I would like to share is Quarry, who makes spiritual content about decolonization and was one of the forefronters on TikTok about stopping line three. I cannot recommend these people more and I would recommend adding them to your media diet. The easiest way to change who we hear from is to, is to purposefully seek out and listen to those who we do not see enough of. Thus, I would encourage you to add all of these people to your media diet so that way you can listen to and hear from more indigenous folks, not just these people, but but even more amazing indigenous creators. And that's all I had to share today. If you would like to check out any of these people or any of the things cited in today's episode, of course, they will all be available in the show notes. I'm going to leave you with a bit more of Remember Me, and I would recommend checking out that song and, and the drum song that was used in this episode. But that's all for me today. This has been the English 222 Writing for Social Change podcast. I am Fraser. I use they, them pronouns. And don't forget to take care of yourself, hydrate, and while I won't be seeing you for another episode, I will see you around. Remember me, remember me, when the sun comes up in the morning sky, there I will be, there I will be, soaring with the eagle so high, feeling free, remember me, down the road, hand in hand, you and me.
Hail, hail.